Amen. If you're, if you're able to remain standing, um, I'd love for us to read the passage of Scripture that we're going to be walking through this morning. It comes from James chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. I want you to follow along as I read. This is the word of the Lord to us today. As believers who are poor have something to boast about, for God has honored them. And those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. They will fade away like a little flower in the field. The hot sun rises and the grass withers. The little flower droops and falls and its beauty fades away. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all of their achievements. It's the word of the Lord to us today. You can be seated. Well, good morning, everybody. Hope you're doing well. Good to be here. If you're joining us for the first time, let me also just say thank you for being here. We're glad you're checking out New City. Um, and if you're watching online, welcome to you as well. Um, this is the day the Lord has made. I'm, I'm glad to be here. It's always a privilege to get to open up God's word, uh, to preach it to God's people. My name is Nick Schreiber. I'm the care pastor here at New City. Um, and we are in part four of our sermon series as we walk through the the book of James, um, the series that we've titled How to Get Through What You're Going Through, and we're all going through something, right? We're all going through something, and if you have a copy of the scriptures, I just encourage you to, to start turning to James chapter 1, or you can also pull up the New City app, uh, find the sermon notes, and you have an outline, and in the, in the, in the, the passage is already preloaded there for you. Um, but as you see in, from our passage, as we read, you'll, you'll already see this idea, this core theme for us this morning, that you've been given a boast. You have a boast. So you have something to boast about in whatever circumstance, whatever situation, uh, whatever economic position you might find yourself in, we have something to boast in. And James is encouraging us to remember that. But he's also encouraging us to remember and, and, and remind us that we need to make sure it's, we're boasting in the right thing. God has lifted us up. God has rescued us from our great need. That's where we're going. But before we keep moving, let me, let me pray for us one more time and just ask the Lord to use these next few minutes. Would you bow with me? Let's pray together. Lord, we're thankful for this place. Thank you, thank you that we get to be here. Thank you for breath. Thank you for life. Thank you for your goodness to us. Would you give us ears to hear, calm and quiet our spirit, our soul right now? And would you teach us? We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, paradoxes, that's where I want to start. Paradoxes, you know, the Christian life is framed with paradox. Now, if you pull back what your definitions are here, what's a paradox? A paradox, according to Oxford's dictionary, is this. It's a seemingly absurd or self-contradictory statement that when explained may prove to be well-founded or true. So a paradox is that statement that uses themes or words that are contradictory in nature, but when associated together in a statement, they reveal wisdom. And so here's some examples. Um, the more you fail, the more likely you are to succeed. Paradox. Or the more connected we get, 
the, the more isolated we may feel. You know, we navigate paradoxes all the time. We'll say things like this to our children. We'll say, hey, I'm disciplining you. I'm causing you pain because I love you. Paradox, so, so to speak. Um, or surgery, think of that. I'm going to hurt you in order to help you or to heal you. And, and scripture is filled with paradox. You can probably recall phrases that Jesus uses, things that he would teach his people, his disciples with. He'll say things like, whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. The greatest among you will be your servant. Or Paul says that when I'm weak, then I'm strong. And so like, hey, do you want to be first? Well, you got to be last. Do you want to find life? Well, you got to have to die. I mean, there's all these paradoxes. And, and, and in James 1, if you remember, this whole section of chapter 1 is built on a paradox. When trouble of any kind comes, consider it great joy. And we see more paradoxes in our passage today as James instructs two groupings of believers, those who are poor and those who are rich, and he uses these paradoxes. And paradoxes, they get our attention. They, they cause us to slow down, to pause, to think deeply, and often they help reframe our minds and they point us to a better way. But here's, here's a question as you're in the passage and you're thinking about James, he's talking about now, he's talking to those who are believers who are poor and those believers who are rich. Why, why is he mentioning the poor and the rich now? And some would say that James is just scatterbrained in how he writes. But I would say, I don't think that's true, especially not here. He's not jumping from trials to wisdom to now talk about money for just money's sake. This is all still in the vein of endurance through trials. Remember, James is writing to a group of believers who are in trouble. They've been scattered because of persecution. They've been forced to leave Jerusalem. They've been forced to leave their homes. They've been forced to, to leave their comforts, many of their possessions. The, the, the things that would be familiar to them, their customs, their structures, they have, they've had to flee, and now they're having to rebuild somewhere else. They were a displaced people, akin to some of the scenarios that we see in our current context and in our current world. Think about refugees from, from Ukraine or Afghanistan. They've had to, to go and flee and now rebuild, and what would it be like to have to start all over again? Of course, it'd be excruciatingly hard. And as you can imagine, with having to flee, they've had to leave behind many of their assets, relational connections. Some have lost their vocations, their jobs. They no longer have the influence they once had. Even the educational pathways for their kids are now gone. And as you can see, one of the first layers affected because of their situation would have been within the financial arena. Some commentators actually say that poverty, poverty may be the most outstanding and difficult trial that's facing the readers of this letter. And think about your own life. During any trial, one of the first and one of the most natural tendencies is for us to look at what we have, to look at our assets, to look at our savings, to assess for how long can I make it. And, and that's not wrong. That's just part of living in an economic world. Trouble will often press, press the focus to financial. 
But where the natural tendency goes awry is when we start to put our trust in those material things. So when trouble comes for some, they look around and they, they realize, I don't have the assets. I don't have the options. I don't have anything to stand on. And, and it's easy for them to think there's no hope. There's no light. There's no rejoicing. And then for others, they look around when trouble comes and the dust settles and they say, oh, wow, I actually, I actually am still standing. I do have options. I do have resources. And, and it's easy for them to then trust in their own ability, in their in their, their wealth. And so do you see the connections here? Do you see why he's addressing these two, these two groups now in this section? Trouble comes and it causes both extremes to have to evaluate their boast, to have to evaluate what they're trusting in. Who or what are they trusting in? And it's, and it's moving us there. And James understands that both extremes will be tested. Everyone will go through trouble. No one is immune and in utilizing these extremes, he's actually saying, hey, this is for the poor, the rich, and this is for everyone in between. There is something important that I want to teach everyone here. And the trick here in this passage, as you look at it, is not necessarily to try to identify which group you're in. But it's understanding the tensions and dangers of both that's important. Because I believe that, that honestly, oftentimes we can live in both or we can move back and forth in both or we can embrace the tensions of both. And both poverty and riches both bring tension points and dangers. They might be different, but they're nonetheless there. And I want to use a passage from Proverbs to, to show us this. Look at this passage in Proverbs. King Solomon wrote this. He says, give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs for if I grow rich, I may deny you and say, who is the Lord? And if I'm too poor, I may steal and thus insult God's holy name. Do you see the tensions and dangers there? He says, for if I grow rich, then, I, then I'll, I'll be prone to say I'm strong and I'll deny the Lord. And if I'm too poor, I may go where I don't want to go and I might insult God's holy name. Now, now please hear me. This passage, the passage in James, all passages in Scripture never indicate that, that having riches or having wealth is sinful. It, money is just a tool, it's a resource. Scripture never indicates that having money in your bank account is wrong. But the love of money is what's the focus. And so if you notice that what's primary in this, in this passage is that it's the, it's, it's the potential to what it will do to your heart. What is, what is having nothing or having 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 your means met, what, what's the potential there to do to your worship or to what you trust in? And both poverty and riches will bring enormous pressure for us to focus on the world rather than on Christ. And trouble often causes our eyes to focus on that which we have or that which we lack. And based on the outcomes of those, oftentimes, sadly, our joy will either rise or fall. But James here, is, here's what he's doing. He's wanting to transform the way they think. He's wanting to transform the way they think. He's offering them true and right perspective. He's seeking to direct their eyes, so to speak, through the forest to the horizon. He's, he's wanting to offer them hope and right thinking in the different places that they find themselves in. Johnny, uh, Johnny Erickson Tata, uh, you know, paralyzed in a swimming accident and has gone her whole life just God using her to bring the gospel to so many. She says this, she says, perspective is everything when you're experiencing the challenges of life. And that's so true. 
And in the case of our passage, perspective will help those believers who are, who are poor endure through their poverty. And a perspective will encourage those who are rich to stay humble in their strength. And James does this through reminding the poor and the rich of their boast. He's telling them they have a boast. He's reminding them that, 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 that hey, you have the ability in whatever you, whatever you, wherever you find yourself in to boast, which is a little odd. You know, this isn't the type of boasting that, that we see in the world. No one likes a braggart or a boaster. He's not calling you to go around and just walk tall and boast in the way that the world does. This isn't a boasting in, in, in yourself or in your achievements. But this is showing us that there is an inappropriate boasting and there is an appropriate boasting. Because it all depends on what you've placed your boast in. And so here, this is a boast that starts in your soul. This is a boast that, that boasts in Christ and what he's done for us. And to boast, the boast, here's what that means, to glory in or to rejoice in. To glory in or to rejoice in. So if you look back at the passage in verse 9 and 10, when he says believers who are poor have something to boast about, he's something you have something to glory in which means you can put your weight on it. You can trust and you can know that it will hold you up, that that boast is what measures you. It's what weighs you or defines you. And it's tied to what we can rejoice in. And so when he says those who are rich should boast or rejoice that God has humbled them, it's tied to their joy. It's tied to what, because we can stand on it, we can now rejoice in it. But often when I'm in trouble and feeling poor or lowly, Often I'm not boasting in anything. And likewise, when I'm doing well, my boast can often be misplaced. But again, he's writing to reframe our minds. He's reminding us, reminding us that we each have a boast. And so to look at verse 9, he says, he says to the poor, here's your boast. Boast in your honored position. For God has honored you, he says. Well, you might go, well, honestly... If I'm in this situation, I don't feel honored. I don't feel exalted. And, and what James is doing, he's saying, all right, but what, from what vantage point are you looking? From the measuring stick of this world, yeah, you're poor, you're lowly, you may feel insignificant, but in the eyes of the Lord and through the lens of the gospel and what you have received in Christ, you're rich. This is what you need to remember. You're honored. Sam Albury writer, theologian, he says this, this is exactly where the gospel comes in. The message of the gospel to even the poorest and the most destitute Christian is that in Christ, you are somebody. You are spiritually rich. In Christ, you cannot be more highly regarded by the Father. This is who you are. It may not change your earthly circumstance, but it does fuel endurance. Remember, remember that the world is, because in this, we can remember that the world is not our forever home, these circumstances are not our forever circumstances. And ultimately, when we remember this, it points our eyes up. And this is the beautiful paradox, is that when I'm down, I need to remember that in Christ I'm up. That when I'm down, I need to look up. When the world looks at financial position, I need to remember my spiritual position in Christ. And you can look through number, a numerous of scriptures that point to this. Ephesians 1.3 says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. 
2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, says that though Christ was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor so that by his poverty we might become rich. Romans 8 says that we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. And because of this, I can be content in whatever circumstance. This is how even in the most hardest or most difficult of trial, I can have joy. This is how Paul, talk about another paradox, he says that I possess nothing and yet I have everything. So if all is stripped away, I have Jesus. This is our boast because of what Christ has done for us, that I've been honored. But to the rich, he says this, you have a boast too. And this is your boast, boast in your humbled position. Now this is not a call to those who were rich and now have been humbled. This is a call to those who are rich and he's instructing them towards what to boast in. He says, you need to boast in something too. You need, you need to boast in that God has humbled you. Or to say it another way, you need to maintain a boast in your need. You need to remember that you're just as needy as the other person. It's a great temptation for the rich to be, def- to be defined by their wealth. The world paints a vivid picture of success and often it's connected to wealth. And it's attractive, and it's beautiful. It's full of pleasure and freedom and power, so to speak, is what we think. And in the eyes of the many, that's the goal. That's that, what many seek after. And if you have wealth, the world will say, you'll be happy, you'll be secure, you'll be a success. And honestly, if I'm not careful, I know how prone to think that way, how, how my heart is so prone to think that way. I know how quickly my heart latches on to the ways of this world, to the things of this world. But this way of thinking is faulty, it's deceitful, they're lies, and they're extremely dangerous. And this is why James is cautioning them. He's given them wisdom. He knows how quickly we can put our trust and wealth and in our achievements, which is why he reminds them of what they need to be boasting in. What we need to be boasting in is that we're desperate. And that without Christ, we have nothing. Their boast is not to be in who they are and what they have, but in Jesus, remembering exactly where they would be without him. The gospel, you see, is deeply humbling. It's spiritually, it's, it's leveling. And apart from Christ, we're all spiritually bankrupt. And it's in that position that I boast. So my boast is this, it's I'm spiritually bankrupt, God, I need you. That's my boast, I need you. So to the one, to the poor, he's saying, your boast is you have Jesus. And to those who are poor, we need to remember and, and boast that I need Jesus. And another, another way of saying this is that it, this is what it means to be poor in spirit. Do you guys remember Matthew 5? You know, James often uses the Beatitudes or the Sermon on the Mount to, to pull from. And in Matthew 5, Jesus is teaching on the Beatitudes and he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for there's the kingdom of heaven. That's a paradox. But this is what it means to be poor in spirit, to, to boast in my humbled position. And so when I'm down, I need to remember that I'm up. But when I'm up, I need to always keep my head bowed down. The reality is that the common identity for all of us is that we're all sinners saved by grace. And so the rich believer needs to remember that even though they may have all the money that, that, that they need, 
they have nothing of eternal value without Jesus. And that I'm a sinner ultimately, saved by grace, that I was dead, I was poor, but I was given life through Jesus. And then there's no room for pride in the gospel. But it's sneaky quick, isn't it? Like I know, I know this, but the longer that I walk with wealth or walk in success, the easier it is for us to think that it's because of us or it's, or it's easy for me to trust in it. But again, this is why he's writing, he starts to elaborate so much on wealth. Because in verse 11, you start to see, he's like, no, but it's dangerous to go there because wealth, the riches of this world is fleeting and it's frail. They don't make good saviors. So if you look at the passage, the hot sun rises and the grass withers. The little flower droops and falls and its beauty fades away in the same way the rich will fade away with all of their achievements. If you look at all those words, falls, fades away, fades away, you start to see this theme. Wealth feels permanent, doesn't it? It feels dependable as if it can be counted on to bear the weight of our lives. And contextually here, what's, what, what, what James is invoking is he's invoking this image of, of a flower in the grasses of Israel that would flourish in February but would be gone by May. And there was this particular flower that would rise up in dry and arid places and it was beautiful, it'd catch your eye. Um, but its beauty was matched by its brevity <laughs> because when the wind would come, it would blow it away. And to take it another level, I'd say many, um, you know, many have gone to bed rich but woken up poor the next day. The bank balance can go from black to red in a flash. Can you think of any recent examples of this? Um, banks closing in a matter of days. And to take it to a whole other level, many have gone to bed rich but haven't woken up at all the next day. And how sobering, how sobering that is. James reminds us of how fickle. But the world and our sinful hearts bent will be to boast in our achievements. But the challenge for you and I is to remember that, listen, our, there's only one achievement that we should be boasting in. And it's not an achievement that we've done anything with. But it's, it's in the cross. It's in the achievement that Jesus accomplished for us. That he went to the cross, he died for our sins, he, he gave us life, he did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. And it's in that achievement, and that he rose from the dead on the third day, it's in that achievement that we boast in um, you remember Paul says in Galatians 6, he says, far be it from me to boast in anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. That's the boast. We boast in him because through him we've been honored and through him we've been humbled. So a question for us, I mean, obviously, is how, how do we keep ourselves humble? How do we keep that to be our boast in the midst of all that we're saying, how quickly we latch on to things? And I think that's where we need to do these types of things. We need to come together because in rooms like this, we're reminded of what Jesus has done. We need people in our lives that will keep, keep, they'll be honest with us. Remind us, hey, you're not all that. Remember who is. We take communion. At communion, it, it reminds us of our need. We, we confess our sins daily, often. It reminds us of how much I need Jesus. 
We, we serve, we mentor, we disciple others because while we do that, our, our vantage point's not on us, it's on others. And we go, that's how the Lord will keep us humble. We, we steward our budget in ways that say, God, this is not my home, this world. And how do I use what you've given me as resources to help, to bless, to, to, to give? How do I teach my kids to say, hey, it's not, it's, it's not about things, it's about people. It's Christ over this world. And we weave those things into our day and it keeps us humble. Two words that have come to mind in studying this passage this week are the two words of identity and inheritance. Identity and inheritance, my spiritual identity and my spiritual inheritance. This is the, those, this is the honor and the privilege that we receive in Christ. And these help describe the position I have in Jesus. I'm a new creation. This world is not my home. My hope is tied to an anchor that will never move. I've been given a spiritual inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. So whether I'm poor or rich or anywhere in between, I can boast in my position. Not my worldly position, but my spiritual position. My position from worldly possessions is temporary and fleeting. My position in Christ is secure and eternal. Because it's held fast by the king of the universe. He'll never change. He'll never be destroyed or to be defeated. He'll never default on his promises or on his securities. And my spiritual position is in no way contingent upon my effort or upon the world's definition. It stays. That's where my ultimate boast flows from. That's where my thanksgiving flows from. It's not from the riches of the world, but from the riches of the gospel. As I close, let me just share one last reflection with you all. This week, I, I was reflecting on this idea, and you might think it's a little corny, but I was reflecting on this idea that to boast is to sing. Now, now not like the literal singing in my head, like, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just boast out in singing, you know, like, like, like some show or musical. But, but to boast is to sing. Um, I'm talking about that singing that rises from your soul because you know Jesus. I'm talking about that singing that carries you, where we can sing in whatever circumstances songs like, Blessed Be Your Name, or I have 10,000 reasons to, to sing, or I, I know that you're my firm foundation, like we just sang, or you're my cornerstone. Or I can sing, how great thou art. The singing I'm referencing here is that Psalm 40 where, where David says, you've put a new song in my heart because you've rescued me from the pit. You've, you've taken me from the mire and whoever trusts in your name will never be ashamed. That's the song I'm talking about. That's the song I was thinking because to boast is to sing. And so James is reminding us that, hey, you have a song to sing. You have something in you that can rejoice when whatever circumstance, but you also need to remember what, what the right song is. And I think my mind started to think this way because, because this week as I was reading and studying this passage, what's interesting is that, you know, we've talked about how James is the brother of Jesus. But that also means that James is also the son of Mary. And Mary wrote one of the most famous songs in all of the world. And when, she, when the angel came and greeted her and reminded her or told her that, hey, you're, you're blessed, Mary, because you're going to bear, you're going you're gonna to give birth to the Savior of the world. She writes this song. 
And she talks about how God saw her as someone who was lowly and exalted her. And she has this reference point that, yeah, it's not just about the riches. It's actually about, it's about something so much greater. And she says this in that song, Luke 1, for he took notice of his lowly servant girl, and from now on all generations will call me blessed. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. And I started to think about, you know, as a mom, she, she walked with her children, not just Jesus, but her children as they were growing, probably as James was struggling with this idea of Jesus is the Savior? What in the world? You know, and she has probably had so many conversations with James. And again, I don't know if, if, if Mary sang to James a song or, or, or showed James this, this song, but I would, I, I would bet that oftentimes the, the, the mother's heart song does, does, is caught by the children. And I would bet that she is teaching James these things, these paradoxes of, hey, guess what? The world, the world will elevate this, but this is what God elevates. And, and God's ways are higher than our ways. And, and you see in this theme, all the themes that James is now writing, so as Mary teaches James to boast, to sing. James now, looking back now, he's, he, does, he, he's, he knows Jesus believes in Jesus as the Savior, and says, I'm teaching others to boast and to sing too. And he's teaching us to sing. He's teaching us to boast. And he's teaching us that it's a one-track playlist. It's Jesus. We boast that I need Jesus. We sing that I, I have Jesus. Give me Jesus. That's it. And so as, wherever you go this week, may we as God's people Remember to boast, but not in the way of the world, but in Christ, because we know that our boast is not in our worldly possessions, but in our spiritual position. And so let's do that this week as we go. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for giving us hope and life and truth and goodness, no matter where we find ourselves. And so, Father, if we're standing on shaky ground according to the world, we know that you're the rock that holds us. But also, God, God, if I'm in a place where I'm trusting in the things of this world, God, would you reveal that to me? I, I, know, that, I know that that's not right. That's, that's foolish. So, Father, help me to help, help prune that for me. Help disciple me there so that my boast can only be in you and in my need for the gospel. But we thank you and we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.